Welcome back to a very special episode. And here it is, episode 300. I don't know how many years it's been, maybe two, two and a half. But I will tell you that I wanted to launch this podcast for eight years. And I finally took the leap. And it has been one of the most gratifying, loving experiences of my life. I... I don't really have words for the gratitude that I have for making this show. It's been one of the greatest tools and assets in my life for me. Every one of your comments, every one of your messages, every one of your reviews, every one of your Instagram messages means the world to me and fills my bucket. This is something that I am so incredibly proud of. Uh, one of my proudest accomplishments in 15 years of entrepreneurship. And with episode 300, we wanted to do something really, really special. And so I have had the opportunity to interview, to create content, and to be a part of some of the most incredible conversations with some of the most intelligent, loving, connected, successful people that I have ever met. And I wanted episode 300 to be special. I wanted it to be homage to the incredible people that have said yes to coming on this show, to sharing their gift with us, to sharing it with you, to sharing it with me allowing me to learn through the process of interviewing them and listening to them and being a part of my world. And it means the world to me. And so what we wanted to do for this episode was to bring back some of my favorite clips from some of the biggest knowledge bombs from some of my favorite human beings. And this is not all encompassing. Every one of my guests means the world to me. And this is probably not the first time I'm going to do this. But for episode 300, we went back in and I picked some of my dearest friends and some of the people that I admire, respect, that I've learned the most from in the last couple of years at the stage of my life and business that I was in. And we wanted to share it with you. And so in today's episode, we're going to share the best knowledge and wisdom that I've pulled from the podcast in the last couple of years. And so I want you to tune in for the absolute best of the best when it comes to scaling your business. And do me a favor, when this episode comes out and you see it, please make sure you share it. And when you share it, tag the incredible people that you hear from. Tag them, let them know that it meant something to you. Let them know that you took something away from it. And I want them to know how special they are and how much we genuinely appreciate them taking the time to share their wisdom with us. So without further ado, here's the podcast. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, so in this clip, we got my dear friend, the man of momentum, Alex Sharfin. And what I love about this episode is that Alex and I got to witness each other as human beings. There were lots of tears in this episode and tears of joy, tears of gratitude, lots and lots of tears. We cried, we laughed, we shared, we talked about the real stuff that we can then apply into our life, into our business to make our businesses work, to make our families work and to make our dreams work and to make our visions come true. This clip summarizes a lot of that. So here you go. When I asked you what was the biggest mistake or lesson, you said something so subtle but so empowering as a statement to where you are, and you said the challenges I created, not the challenges that happened to me, not the challenges that somehow magically fell on my plate, like the challenges I created. Yeah. And there's this level of ownership 
that we do in breath, in work, in life, in modalities that puts us in this situation of awareness and the ability to shift something. But I see a whole lot of time and, and we both coach entrepreneurs a whole lot of like, I don't know why this happened and this happened and they did this to me and they did this to me. And it's like an advocation of responsibility. Yeah. And it was so subtle when you said it, but it's so powerful to hear you talk about it. Can you unpack that a little bit of like the difference between, you know, my my business partner failed and walked away versus like I created this challenge? Yeah, no question, George. So years ago, I read this book. I think I can't remember who it was by, but I, th I think it might have been Mark Victor Hansen. I think it, it was called The Millionaire Messenger. And it was a book that you read in two directions. Yep. So very, very interesting book where it had kind of a nonfiction and a fiction book together. I don't remember a ton about that book, but I remember on one page, they had this graphic and it was the word responsibility with a line and underneath it blame. And it, underneath it said, live above the line. And I remember that I actually have that on my wall now with a couple of other equations that we've created as a company, but that responsibility over blame. I remember when I, when I read it, I saw it and it was so confronting. I'm like, no, you can blame, you can still like, you don't have to take responsibility for everything. And it, that was a journey that was probably a few years of like really working through that and understanding. And, and then I, I remember one day it just clicked, you, you know, as entrepreneurs, uh, the faster we realize that we are responsible for everything and we can take responsibility for everything, the, the faster we start to actually control our, our lives, be able to create our destiny, be able to go in the direction that we want. I used to be the same as most people when I was younger and I, I had my business. You know, 9-11 happened for, uh, about eight weeks before one of our biggest events when I, I owned a huge events company in Latin America. And I remember it happening and having the feelings of like, how could this happen to us? Like how, how insanely selfish and egotistical was the statement, how can 9-11 happen to us? Like, as I say it right now, I actually get a kind of sick feeling in my stomach that I ever thought that way. But I remember actually saying it out loud and, and not even feeling like not, not feeling the body reactions and negative feelings you should feel of making a statement that egotistical, which in retrospect shows me just how separated I was from my true self, just how detached I was. And as entrepreneurs, you know, what, what we, we work with our, our members on is, is responsibility over blame. Like how, how do you live in a world where you take responsibility for everything that's going on? And I have people, especially in today's time frame, say things like, oh, well, you can't be responsible for COVID. Sure you can. You can be responsible for your reactions. You can be responsible for how you show up. You can be responsible for what you're going to allow and not allow into your mind. You can be responsible for how you live through this situation. And you know what I always tell people, the bigger the crisis, the bigger the opportunity, there's going to be more self-made billionaires made in this time frame than in any other time frame in the human history. And anyone who wants to argue that, just go look at it already. Mm -hmm. Already. We're, all, we're only six or seven months in. And look at the hundreds of billions of dollars of company value that has been added to the companies that were well positioned and ready to go forward. And I think for us, that's, that's one of the things that, that, not for us, for me, that's one of the things that's really shifted for me is that, that now, regardless of what it is, I take responsibility. And I put this on Facebook the other day. One of the observations that finally got through, you know, I, I've learned so much, so much of what I understand in business and so much of what I know about relationships and how to create momentum as an entrepreneur has been observable. Yep. And one of the observations that has become crystal clear over time is that the more successful an entrepreneur, the more quickly they turn every obstacle into an opportunity, the more quickly they turn every crisis into an opportunity. I mean, I've been around people 
that regardless of what's going on, they're just constantly shifting to how is it an opportunity? How is this an opportunity? Mo most negative thing in their entire lives, how can I create something better out of this? How do I grow from this? How do I move from this? And that, you know, not that I'm 100% there. I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know that I ever will be, but I'm so much closer to seeing everything as an opportunity than I ever was before. And so when COVID hit, I actually had somebody text me after one of my lives and they're like, hey man, it sounds like you're cheering the crisis on. I'm like, oh dude, that is not the impression I want to give. I'm not cheering it on, but I am fully conscious that this is the biggest opportunity a lot of us have had. And we should admit that to ourselves and get ready for it and go out and change the world because the world needs us now more than it ever has. Totally. I, th I think too, and you nailed this and, and oh man, there's so much here. And <laughs> you and I, I think we might've been separated at birth at this point, <laughs> uh, which That's is so Call yeah, no, no, it was, it was like, and for those of you wondering, like only like 32 people or so have my phone number and Alex doesn't give his out. And we had connected years ago and never really talked. And we both realized we both had our numbers in our phones and which never happens to me ever, which ever happens. And we were like, okay, there's a reason and the timing and everything. And what you said, Alex, uh, it's about the pursuit of turning things into opportunities, not the perfection of what it looks like. And yeah. I think as an entrepreneur, for me, you know, because my ego needs some love at this point in this moment. So I'm going to make a statement, <laughs> you know, because I'm learning so much in this time. But when I think about it, for me, one of the things that I really fell in love with after processing the belief around it was that there is no finish line, but it's what I choose to do every day about it. And, yes. you know, there were parts of COVID, like I lost a, over a million dollars in a contract. I lost two companies and 70 grand a month in MRR in basically like 60 days. Yeah. And I'm like, so on paper, I'm in financially one of the hardest places I've ever been in. And I'm the happiest and clearest I've ever been. And it wasn't an overnight. It was a, I feel like crap. But what am I going to do today? I feel like crap. What am I going to focus on today? And instead of it taking six months or three years or eight years of depression, it took like a week. And it was, I feel this way. I acknowledge how I feel. That's not going to change. What am I going to do about it? And then that created the opportunity for opportunity. Like it created the ability to see the opportunity. Yes. And it's like when we sit in these rooms as entrepreneurs and, and consider it a virtual room, a made up room, a metaphorical room, whatever you want to call it. I say this all the time, you know, from breath work and the therapy trauma that I've done and the work that I've done in personal development is like the worst thing you can stay is stuck. We are evolutionary creatures. We are supposed to evolve. We are supposed to move forward. And, you know, I heard this the other day and it's like, you want to know what anxiety is? It's unused energy move. Yeah. And I was like, no doubt. whoa, like I've been doing it for years, but it was this simple thing. But then when I think about the compartment of entrepreneurship, what is anxiety? I'm like, it's stagnation in our biggest enemy, which is our brain. It knows our fears. It knows our insecurities. It knows our habits. It knows our addictions. And yet we think we can out convince it that somehow we're going to feel better about it. Where what you talk about is like, okay, this is how I feel. I'm aware this is how I feel. Breath gets you there. Cold therapy gets you there. Movement gets you there. Okay, if this is how I feel, I have two choices. I can either succumb to this feeling and surrender and die, or I can acknowledge that this feeling is here and I can take a step in a different direction. And it's something that like I've been obsessing about, like on a different level of obsession. And yeah. it's probably had one of the most profound effects on everything in my life. And, you know, financially the gain will come and it has already, but even outside of that, like the happiness, the joy, and, and I go back to deployments. Like I remember like 
I'll never forget. I hit Somalia. I'm about to cry. I hit Somalia when I was 19 years old. I just turned 20. And I spent 13 months of my life in probably one of the worst places on this planet. And I'll never forget, like, seeing people wrapped in carpets on the side of the road because they couldn't afford a thrum out and then burning dead by. And I was like, I was like, I'm not a tough guy. I want to go home. I didn't have a home to go to. Like, I left trauma to get there. And, like, I remember for 13 months, I was like, get me out of here. Like, I can't be here. I don't have it. I didn't have that choice. So, luckily, I found a few people that mentored me. And I found weights. And I found, you know, certain therapies and, and things that I could do. But I'm just, I just remembered, like, if I succumbed to any of that, I would have died. Like, I would have yeah. just died. I would have just stopped moving. The whole world crashed and crushed on me. And it wouldn't have gotten me anywhere. And you know, it took me a long time to be able to talk about some of these things and to process them. And like, for me, what I struggle with sometimes is that like, what I saw is like 1% of what some of my friends saw, like 1%. And I can't even imagine, you know, what that was there. But I think the biggest thing that I always took away from everything, and, and I thank the Marine Corps for this is like, I wasn't given the chance to stop. I wasn't. It was like, hey, and, and like, we say this, like, oh, they don't want you to feel. No, they do. They totally, totally do. But they don't want you to stop. Right. And yeah. it's this thing of like this pursuit for forward and growth and movement as we go. And so, you know, with what you're saying, the one thing that I wanted to hit, um, and this is a really big one, and this is so subtle, but when I did personal development, I was getting coached and they were teaching the distinction versus responsibility, right? Victim versus responsible, victim versus responsible, right? And they really pushed the boundary on the belief of this, right? Like 100% responsible 100% of the time. And it was this interesting thing because we would get in trouble for saying, I take responsibility. And I was like, I don't get it. I'm taking it. They're like, you can't take it. You never didn't. You, you, there was no point in which you never had it. There was no point in which you gave it up. And so you, you just can't feel take like it you back. Yeah. You just feel like yeah. you did. And this distinction, like, it probably took me 10 years to understand because there's so many times in business, right? Or as a consultant or with a student or even in my own business, I'm like, oh, I'll take it. And then I have to be like, oh, wait, no, it was mine the whole time. Yeah. And it's like this embodiment of it that is so powerful, like when we think about it. And so I didn't, I've never, I've never talked about a lot of the stuff that I, I experienced, like from a mindset perspective, I don't think I've ever been in the point to like really um, process this. But, you know, what I love about you, Alex, and what I, you you have this childlike curiosity and excitement matched with this tight container of structure that basically guarantees success. <laughs> In this clip, we have the incredible human being, my dear friend, and I'm actually wearing his clothing right now, Rob Bailey. And Rob talks about why he doesn't care about money and how the story of how he lost a suitcase with a million dollars of cash in it he explains what fuck you kill everything means, the story of how Andy Frisella told him to own it and have that be a standard and share with his employees. And Rob shares how for him, closing his gym felt like one of the biggest losses, but he learned so much that drove him ultimately uh, through my world, got into opening his mentorship and his mastermind group and sharing his gift with the world. And Rob is a very special human being that uh, is a close dear friend of mine. And every time he speaks, he listens. And every time I listen, I apply it into my life because there's something to take from it. So enjoy this clip. So let's go back to this, the app conversation real yeah. quick. So, so here's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you heard that. I, no one brought that up. So I was like, oh, maybe no one heard me say that. Oh, yeah. No, no. So here's what happened. So like 
I, I was like, Rob, you got to do this. You got to do this. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it when I get abs. And I was like, that's a stupid fucking I wanted to set a, I wanted to set a goal for myself. So I was like, all right, listen, if I can get my shit together, because I've held off on doing um, a, mentorship a mentorship program for a very long time, right? Because like, I feel like everything needs to be going right in my life. Yeah. Or else, why the fuck am I mentoring people? Right? Like, if my life's a fucking shit show dumpster fire, am I going to tell other people how to live their life? <laughs> you know, and, and, and a great example is um, that I told in the group the other day, and it fucking clicked. And I was like, no, 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 no. My, like, my losses are fucking superpowers. Yeah. So, Warhouse Gym started uh, a dream, whatever, and we started building it in the, in the warehouse, right? And it was just for employees. But I wanted to buy flooring. And flooring was $14,000. And I was like, that seems like so much money. How do I make 14 grand? And I was like, ooh, we'll do a camp. So called in a favor from a friend. The friend came in, I don't know, it was like Flex Lewis or Steve Cook or some, some famous male, and then set that with Dana and then me. And we did like this lifestyle camp and we brought in 20 grand. And I was like, oh, wait a second. And dude, and, and everyone loved it. Yeah. Everyone loved it. It wasn't like I like, we tricked people to come and ripped them off and like, no, we did this camp interactive seminar. And then the two weeks later I did it again and made 20 more grand. And I was like, oh, wow. So we did it for like a year and made a fucking shitload of money and also provided people with a really good experience. Like they were coming into essentially a gym that you can only see on the internet. There was an Airstream in there. There was a deadlift platform where we deadlifted a Raptor. Uh, there was just like the coolest shit ever, right? Like you could see like, oh, there's Rob's bedroom. That's where he sleeps. Um, <laughs> It was, it was, it was wild. And we'd cook them and give them food and everything. And then, uh, eventually we took all that money and we bought a gym. Now I did it very lazily. Mm -hmm. I had someone else negotiate for me. I had someone else figure out all the leases and like looking back now, I don't think he cared as much as I thought he cared. Um, so I, I, I got fucked, but who cared? I had made a lot of money that year where I could just it was $350,000 in the gym. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll take that gym. Mm -hmm. Oh, you need a hundred, another $150,000 to renovate it. Boom. But like, I wasn't paying attention to the details because I was doing so many things and I was ripping so fast. So first regret there. Right. And then when we were there, we never had to set up the structure of the gym. So we would show up every day and be like, Hey bro, no eating McDonald's behind the desk. Uh, Hey, why aren't the toilets cleaned? And like, we would correct day by day and it was, it was fine. Cause I like working. So I like being interactive with the employees. And then we would do these camps there, which would make another 10 grand a month. So we're profiting. So essentially the gym's making 20 grand a month. So then we left. And as much as people think I care about money, I don't. So right away the gym like started going down in revenue, but I didn't care because it's, I don't do it for the money. Like mm -hmm. I make money so that I can leverage it into other things that I like. It's not like I'm fucking storing it all away and swimming in it. Like fucking, uh, what's that duck? Richie Rich. Who is the motherfucker that swam in the coins? I know what you're talking. That's about. not me. Yeah. I don't care. Yep. Um, I have a funny story about not caring about money, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell that later. I had a million dollars in a suitcase. Um, maybe shouldn't tell this, but I had a million dollars in a suitcase and, uh, someone had to move it for something. Like there was some reason that the, that the million dollars got moved around a suitcase and I, I lost the suitcase for like three weeks. <laughs> and then Dana pulled up in her thing once and I was like, Oh, let me take your forerunner. I put groceries in the back and I was like, Dan, there's a million dollars in this suitcase. And she was like, that's what's in that suitcase. <laughs> but like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. You know, but I think a lot of people do, but I just want to make just enough to keep doing cool fucking shit. So I realized it wasn't good to have just a million dollars. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. So 
as the gym started losing revenue, I didn't care, right? I was like, well, it's still clean. Obviously, we're losing money for a reason. It's not because members are unhappy, but it was because they started comping their friends and start not charging people, and people realized that, like, there weren't any rules. Mm -hmm. But I didn't care because it was still a cool environment. Anyway, trajectory went to where I started losing money, couldn't really figure out why, and then eventually went out of business and COVID killed it off. So, like, I look at that as a huge fucking loss, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I had a public gym, and now it's out of business. Mm -hmm. But once I started doing the coaching program, I'm like, oh, no. I've literally been through... Private gym making tons of money, uh, public gym making tons of money, public gym falling apart, clear as day why, and then closing and fire selling a public gym and fully aware why. So like, oh no, I know every, every part of that curve makes total sense. Wow, that's worth a lot of money now. Yep. Like that's some valuable fucking information for a gym owner. Like I can tell them what they're doing wrong, what they're doing right. All along, I thought that was a loss. Mm -hmm. So, like, I didn't feel qualified because of that. And now I realize, like, well, no, it was a, a small chapter in my life that makes me hella fucking qualified. Because mm -hmm. if I started another gym now, which I don't want to do, but if I did, yeah, I know everything right and wrong to do. Yeah. So, I was waiting on abs, but I realized that, like, I don't need fucking abs, bro. No. You know? No. Now, I got a really sage piece of advice from Tucker Max one day, and he's like, you can never write a book that you're still in the middle of. And I was like, oh, dope. And I was like, oh, but I've written 40 books in my life already that yeah. I can talk about and teach while I'm writing the next one. Exactly. And I was like, that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. And so there's a question that I, I always end with because I want to be present to time because we can get somebody to the airport. Um, and I always say, if you could leave everybody in this episode, right, they didn't remember one thing you said mm. and you could tattoo anything on their soul, what would it be? And that's what I would ask you. But I kind of want to lead this one and I want you to explain what fuck you kill everything. I was going to say fuck you kill everything. It's something I ran from for a very long time. Yeah. I thought it was too aggressive. I love it. I, I, I thought it was too aggressive and I kept it private for myself and I got corrected. And this is not just to name drop, but it's also because like, I feel like I owe the guy so much now. Andy Frisella. Yep. Um, it's we have a really cool relationship where like we only call each other sort of when we need something mm -hmm. and it's not like hey man i need you to introduce me to this it's like hey man i need like either life advice or i need to make sure that i'm on the right track he does it to me i do it to him and i was telling him i was like yeah man I, i'm trying to figure out core values because that's something like a company does like first form does it the best yes. in the industry and i was like yeah i can't figure it out and, uh, and he's like well you always say the same thing to yourself right i'm like yeah well fuck you kill everything and he's like that's it and I was like, I'm not, I'm not putting that on my wall as, and he's like, bro, that's it. And I was like, nah, man, like I need to get something nicer for the employees. He's like, wait, 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 who's the most successful fucking killer in that building? And I was like, me. And he's like, okay, so the most successful, powerful person has the most powerful idea. And you're going to water that down and make a simpler version because you think you're better than everyone. And I was like, well, no, I'm not, I don't think I'm better than everyone. He's like, then explain to them what the fuck it means and make them come up to the level that you're on. And I was like, mm -hmm. whoa. Mm -hmm. So yeah, fuck you, kill everything. So when everything's going completely wrong, like last week, right? Yeah. There's such a tendency to act like a victim. Like we all know that. Like you want to be like, oh, it's so cold. My joints hurt because it's going to storm. <laughs> I can't train, right? And then- <laughs> Get out of my head, Rob. <laughs> I know. I'd use that one specifically for you. No, but like, it's such a, you just want to be a victim. Like, oh, all this money's going out. I work so hard and no one ever respects me and blah, blah, blah. Where the fuck? Or, you know, I'm not given the right things or just the fucking victim shit. And I do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I do it where I'm like, well, I'm not, 
I don't have abs because of this. And like Dana has them because she doesn't have to work as hard as me because I'm working to take care of her. <laughs> and like you get super bitchy. This is why we're And then friends. I fucking snap myself out of it. So like the fuck you is fuck you, Rob Bailey. Mm-hmm. Like fuck you, Rob Bailey. You have control over the situation. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. You don't need money to do this. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. You don't have to go home tonight. You can sleep in the fucking warehouse. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. No one owes you shit. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. Like, the building is on you. Mm-hmm. Advertising is on you. You didn't specify. You didn't give them clear enough direction to execute. That's why they didn't execute. It's your fucking fault. You're the fucking leader. So it's essentially like the, the, the extreme ownership thing, right? Yeah. And then the next step is kill everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that like that Rambo mentality of like, no, mow down everything around me and nothing lives. Mm-hmm. But with tasks, yeah. you know? It's just the most aggressive way to say it. Fuck you, kill everything. So when people hear fuck you, kill everything, they're like, fuck me? No, fuck you. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not even talking to you. No, I'm like, like fuck me. Yeah, you're not even involved in this. Yeah, I'm sure. here by my fucking self. Yeah. The accountability is on Rob Bailey. And then Rob Bailey is going to solve it. And not only is he going to solve it, but he's going to solve it so well that nothing is living when he's done. Mm-hmm. So fuck you, kill everything, man. Like it's, it helps me through so much shit. In this clip, we have the incredible mutant, my dear friend, the Highland Games champion, the the man of mystery, one of the most humble, loving, connected human beings that I've ever met in my life, Matt Vincent. And in this clip, we talk about micro percentages, working to gain micro changes. The principle of things is to have momentum and consistency. We talk about the strength game principles in business, in throwing in track and field versus team sports, you play for yourself and you own all of it. He shares about how to receive feedback and not hanging your hat onto it and how communication today and handling those expectations with asynchronous communication expectations. And I talk about how to handle relationships at scale and Matt shares his wisdom and being one of the most accomplished human beings that I've ever met. So Mike, I have a question because like you, like when you get to the point of strength that you had, mm-hmm. like you don't get home runs anymore. Like you're fighting no. for like micro percentages. Yeah, same with throwing. Same with throwing, but like you'll work a year. Yeah, for five, five pounds. To gain five pounds, to do whatever. And I feel like that's one of the reasons you win in business. Well, so I was, I was really, really able to correlate what worked for me in strength training to the business thing. Yeah. And um, Man, it goes back, I have a, a buddy of mine in radio, uh, Jason Ellis, and I remember oh, him yeah. saying it and it fucking triggered for me big time because he'd got into radio and he's always, he's like, yo, I'm not the most talented athlete. I'm not, I wasn't a great skateboarder. I loved it and I never stopped, mm-hmm. right? And so when he got into radio and like realized he had some knack for it and he's like, cool, 10 years. It takes 10 years for me to be good at this. Yeah. And so for me, I looked at that with the same way of lifting. Like there's not a single workout that makes me strong. It's me not getting fucking hurt for 10 years. And so just keep making that progress. Right. And like, I I tell people that like, if you want to get strong, like bench squat, deadlift and overhead press moderately heavy once a week for the next decade, you can't fuck that up. Yeah. And I looked at business the same way. It's like, yo, there's no one day or one month or any of that. Like, this is the grind. Like, understand we're getting into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're seven years in. And so I feel like I have some idea of what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I probably don't know what 10 year looked like. But. And I think that that's what's so amazing because I think that's what's so missed. And, like, if, if anybody listens on either show, like, the business lesson that people pay millions of dollars for, right? Like, it's the non-glamorous inputs. 
that create momentum that you protect. You have to earn the right to try to hit a home run. And and for me, it's it's very similar to throwing. Yeah. What I loved about throwing and track and field and Highland games versus a football or the other sports I played, pass or fail, it's my fault. Yep. I either succeeded today because I did all the work and I did it right and I and I showed up when it counted. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't because I didn't. Yep. Or, yo, I slipped. Shit happens too. It does. Right? Like, fuck, why did I tear, like, why did I get a calf sprain, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. In the same way it works with business. It's like, if I can just apply that approach of like, yo, we just don't stop once we commit to a thing. And that's the podcast, right? Like, how many people I know that start a podcast and, and lose steam after three episodes, Dude, five it episodes? It's tough. Yeah. Especially like, so we're, we're a hundred. This is like one, episode 185. I think I'm on like 186 <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's like 185 and I'll still do occasional episodes that we don't count as yep. episodes. So like Q and A's or yep. any of this other type of stuff. And I've never missed a week. Yep. And that was, you know, I decided I'm doing a podcast and I know the only way this works is you, you can't pause and panic about podcast number one being perfect because it's never going to be no matter how much time effort preparation editing everything you put into episode one episode 100 is going to be better yep get to episode 100 yep start making mistakes and start taking note you know i had dude i read a i read a review and and like i check in every once in a while on them and and read one and it was like matt talks over guests he's telling the exact same stories and it's gone from this to that and like Yo, it hurt. Yeah. And the reason hurt, because I'm aware, I've thought about those things. Yeah. And he fucking said them. Yeah. Or she said them or whoever it was, right? And so, like, I don't look at that and go, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, there's truth to that. Yeah. Let's fix it. Yeah. And I give a shit. I, that's the most important part. Like, and, and even in the business stuff, like, I watch people and every day I'm hit with, like, oh, you're the guy that built a billion dollar company or a million dollar company. You did this and then help me do it now. And I was like, okay, stop looking. Yeah. And they don't like it. Well, dude, if you think someone outside of your business is the key to making your business grow, yeah, you've already lost. Yeah, because you have to remember, like, I'm not a fire. I'm lighter fluid once right. the fire is burning. That's exactly it. If you don't have it, yep. everyone else's help. Yep. But you can't, then they'll just start a business. It, like, they it, don't need your help. What is it you're bringing to the table? Exactly. And I tell people, I was like, I, I mean, it's taken me years. Like I, I, because of like my childhood and stuff, like I was always like, I have to be the guy or nobody will like me. Like when I met you and even Aubrey, I was like, if I'm not the best of the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't like me. Cause I was like running around pretending to be this person. And they like saw straight, but they saw this like wounded little boy and they loved him. The beauty of a room like that. Yeah. is no one's the best at everything. And no like that. It's a room of mutants. Totally. And so like. Look, everyone's, I'm good at one thing that I could throw rocks further than fucking Tell anyone it. in that room. And, and I like, got that part locked down. And I'll never forget too, we went surfing and then Rutherford starts surfing. And then like, I'm like, you're like a surfing cheerleader. Like, how are you doing this, right. bro? And I love him. I was bummed I missed that day. Yeah. That's the surf day. And um, yeah, the first time I surfed was in Austin, Texas. Crazy, and I lived right? in Hawaii for four years. Like that's how that. Um, But yeah, so I just, I think what's so huge about what you said is like, it took me a long time to develop a healthy relationship with feedback because I was coming and like wounded. I'm incomplete, right? Because I was so identified by what was outside of me, like my results. And so then 
you know, my wife, my wife um, kicks my ass all the time. Sure. My wife's been studying hypnosis NLP for like 20 years. Wow. So like I got trained on to be who I am. I've never been hypnotized. Oh yeah. Yeah. She doesn't do it anymore. We have some friends, but like one of my biggest breakthroughs is like, I do hypnotherapy every two weeks. Non-negotiable. I have like three hypnotherapists that I rotate and one of them, all he does is coach UFC champions and world series of poker champions. He just helps them with their mindset. And uh, it's mind-blowing to me. But like one of the things that you said is like, I used to literally like hang my hat on that feedback. And my wife, like w- one thing she told me in the beginning, <laughs> she's like, commitment isn't feelings. And it took maybe eight years for me to really understand what that means. Like in a relationship as a father, like as a business owner. And then I started to get it. And then like the same thing for you. Like I used to get the feedback and I would like attack. And my wife's like, okay. And she looked at me one day. She's like, you're a purple dinosaur. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not. She's like, notice I didn't get upset. And I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> and she's How like, dare you? <laughs> yeah, you get upset because it's true. So maybe you should take a look at it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, and now I look at them as like, they're basically charting my path to success. Like you're giving me the roadmap to Dude, follow. Listen, like, like you have to be at first. It, so... Like during my career as an athlete, especially as a thrower, mm-hmm. like the way throwing works is like your feedback directly from a coach, every throw, turn the right foot more, get over the left, stretch. You need to be patient. You need to do this. And it's every single throw. I get out of that and then try an entrepreneurship for a bit with a bike shop and it went poorly, mostly because 22 year old me was involved. Uh, he's a bit <laughs> less focused. <laughs> uh, And then I went into outside sales in the petrochemical industry and did that for 10 years. And so did relationships and Mm -hmm. did phone calls and cold calling and all this for a decade. And so like someone telling me no doesn't mean shit. Yeah. That just means not right now. That's fine. That's I'll try again later. You probably forget that I asked. (laughs) And then, but it was really tough for me to go into that job um, because being an outside sales rep, like I'm not in an office. I don't have interaction with the other people that are work for my company. I build my own schedule. There was no feedback. And that fucked me up for a long time. It's like, I don't know if I'm doing good. I don't know if I'm matching expectations yeah. of what you want from me. And like, every time my phone rings, I assume you're going to fire me. Yeah. Like, like panic. Dude, I had the same thing. And so like, I need something. Yeah. And so now it's really easy for me to look at sales and engagement and things like that is it's feedback yeah. it's just data of more of this or less of this from when i started consulting and coaching if somebody sent me an audio message i'd have a panic attack and it would take me three days to listen to oh, and i'd respond and i would lie because it's rude and i'm like audio messages are rude and i'm like i would respond i would lie i'm like hey i'm on a flight i won't be able to listen to this for like five hours can you text it to me yeah i would lie through my teeth because i was scared to play an audio message and somehow them translating it to text was going to make better. it better because it was like somehow non-confrontational dude i this is a concern i've got like going forward as a culture and i think a lot of what we've seen especially get amplified in the last year is the way that we communicate now. Yes. Because we're we're communicating so much non-verbally and we learned at the beginning that 90% plus of communication is non-verbals, yeah. which is eye contact and empathy and seeing the mood the person you're in, the context of what the last four sentences we just fucking talked about yeah. were. All these things. And we've become a text-based society. Mm-hmm. And so you read it in your own tone. I don't know how many, like I had a, we had a receptionist that worked for uh, one of the companies I worked for, uh, doing hardware sales in the oil and gas industry. And 
man, her, I just always read everything she sent me in this like raging tone. And so like, oh, I built this animosity toward her. And then anytime I was ever at the office, this wasn't Amy. No. Amy was, she's harsh, but she's not shitty. Yeah. She's direct. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't rude. It was still jokes. It was just dry and flat. And via via text message, man, or emails, it was really hard for me not to read under the context that I wanted it under. Oh, yeah. And that's not fair. Nope. And so, of course, we do that on yeah. a global scale now. Like, if you're hurt and you're damaged and you're you're scared, of course, you read things as an attack. Instead of just go, eh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. It's so funny too, because like I have this, and even the thing that I've noticed, right? Like it used to be okay to treat asynchronous communication as asynchronous communication, but the amount of people get mad, like if you don't respond in five minutes, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I was reading books to my son to put him to bed before I cuddled my wife and ate dinner. Like yep. F you. It, it took me a long time to do that. Yeah. Because, uh. Man, I, again, with the outside sales job, like if you're not the one answering the phone, that business goes to someone else. Totally. Like I coach some realtors, and so right? Like, I respond to fucking emails and text messages. Like I'm holding my phone waiting for you to hear. Yeah. And people, it's weird when I don't respond now because people are like, everything okay? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I was just in another country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. whatever it is or, or on camp. Totally. And uh, it's taken a long time for me to deal with waiting to respond yep because I, I still would rather just get it done because mm-hmm. i forget mm-hmm. that's how i combat having a shit memory yes yeah. you're like i just do just it do immediately it. Yeah. yeah yeah i think um you know like i've gone through so many evolutions like you have where it's like okay i was wounded then i got healed but then after i like quote unquote got healed i relied on all that external feedback am i doing good am i not doing good because i was still in a little bit of a wounded boy in me of like sure. is this right is this not right and then I was like, I had to go the other way. I'm like, none of this feedback matters, right? And then like now in the middle, I'm like, okay, cool. And like, I focus, I probably spend two to three hours a day in silence, like alone in a stillness practice. And really it's like, I have this philosophy that as children, right? Like, and this is from my plant medicine and meditation breathwork stuff I've done as children, like we are completely unattached to anything but the moment and we are ourselves, right? And then as we get older, we get less and less and less and less time with ourselves and we stack it all on as a means of success. But if you look at the average human's day, they don't even shit alone anymore. No, Their phone is with them. Like I have a, I have a Tibetan monk who's in my mastermind. He was in a monastery for seven years in silence. And I had him on the podcast and this dude is like, and, and he's a, he's a hypnotist now, uh, okay. hypnotherapist now. Um, but he was like on the podcast and I was like, of this whole show, the most profound takeaway was he's like, you're not living if you can't shit without your phone. Oof. And bro, it blew my mind. And like for a month, I was like, holy moly. Like I like had anxiety going to the bathroom without my phone. And I was like, oh yeah, my I, goodness. I got, I got broke on the phone thing. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago when I went and did that two weeks on the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah. So that's two weeks, no cell phone. No cell phone. And like, this was three years ago. This wasn't like 2008 when cell phones yeah. kind of worked. Yeah, I know. Like, yo, I'm in the middle of business and trying to do shit. Like, my business partner's taking care of stuff while I'm gone. And uh, it was two weeks yeah. without your phone. And so like, yeah, shitting, right? Some of those campsites, because you you don't ever leave the river. Like, it was a weird thing, too, because... I didn't go in a building or a thing for two weeks. Yeah. Which is, I haven't done that in my life. 
I have, but yes, right. Like I, I, I have not. <laughs> so like, it was really great, but like, yeah, just to have that moment of like, the world gets really small again mm-hmm. and, and these are the only people that exist. And I really now crave when I can punch into that Yeah, for a bit. Yeah. Because I feel like, uh, you know, Stephanos, one of my business partners and dear friends, we talk about this. Like, I, I've, I talk about the meaning of life or like, what is it, right? Like, I feel like I've accomplished what I've wanted. I have my family, I have everything. I was like, no, I have something here. I was like, but what's the finish line? I was like, because I, I don't believe there actually is one, but I was like, I think awareness is. Like, I think awareness is the finish line. When you are in a moment and moment to moment, you get to make a choice. I was like, but it's interesting because to be aware, you have to be in that really small world. Yeah. But yet you can only be in that really small world when you're by yourself. And yet it's the one muscle that we don't flex and work out every single day. In this clip, we have my dear friend, Jordo, the king of the internet, the founder of Drop Funnels, where he even helped me coin a term, the relationship quotient. And Jordan is loaded with knowledge and he shares so much in this clip. I explain in detail what relationship speed algorithms mean. And we both talk about how relationships take precedence over strategies and tactics. And it's the one thing that you should hang your hat on when it comes to life and business. So enjoy. We have the same <laughs> beliefs about virtually everything. Yep. Especially as it relates to ethically scaling authenticity and relationships. You know, that's really what this is about. Your key phrase, which I think is so beautiful, is relationships beat algorithms. Yep. You live and breathe and bleed that belief even force your client, you get paid $50,000 a day for consulting some of these massive organizations. You've built an incredible business, but it isn't predicated on the tiny, on the email open rate or the amount of new leads per day. It's not based on any of that. So tell us a little bit about this secret ingredient that most people are missing, this this relationship quotient. What is this? And and by the way, I got to give you full credit because you created this relationship quote and name and I love it. And and here's the thing. And, and this is the easy part because this is where people come in. People always come in like, I need to scale my business. I need to get bigger open rates. I need to get more clicks. And I was like, cool. And I always ask them one question. I was like, well, who's opening, who's clicking and who's buying? And they're mm-hmm. like, I was like, no, name them. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, cool. And I was like, when was the last time you felt disrespected or disconnected? and opened, clicked, or bought something. And then they look at me and they're like, F you. And I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. I was just asking. Because what happens is the relationship quote quotient, right? The thing across the board, it's there whether you see it or not, right? Because everything you're doing is either moving a customer, potential customer, or friend, acquaintance, or human one step closer to you or one step further away from you based on every touch point they have with your organization. And so people focus so much on the result and how to get the result. They miss the ingredient that creates the result, which is the relationship, right? So basic human, like human psychology is a human being needs to feel seen, heard, or respected. That's really, really it, right? They feel validated. They feel seen. They feel a part of something, right? No one goes into a restaurant, gets disrespected. The hostess ignores them the waiter doesn't talk to them and then orders blindly off a menu and enjoys their meal. But yet in most digital marketing, like I need more open rates. Okay. So let's run ads to trick people here to get to this page so we can pixel them and then retarget them with this free plus shipping offer that they don't realize is going to rebuild them. And I'm going to get really upset that they don't open or click my emails. Mm. And so when you start to look at it in the frame of human nature and human being, and I love to just take real life examples, right? Like we look at marketing on the internet, Facebook, you know, paid media, email, blah, blah, blah. 
And I was like, cool, take exactly what you designed, like step-by-step of your journey, and then ask me or find me a a business, like in person, like a brick and mortar business where that would work. And most people can't. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, upsells, right? When was the last time you went to the grocery store, you bought a dozen eggs, and then after you checked out, you took six steps, and they're like, hey, wait, Jordo, I'll give you a dozen more for half off. And you're like, what? (laughs) And then you say no, and then they chase you to the parking lot of your car, and they're like, all right, fine, Jordo, you did it. I'll give you four dozen. You just cover shipping. And you're like, I only needed a dozen. Like, you're going to get arrested for assault, right? But yet we think, or what's been perpetuated is that that's okay to do online. But what people don't realize, Jordo, is the long-term effects of burning a bridge on the front. So they get that in the front, right? They get the sale. They get the AOV, right? The average order value. But they don't have enough data or time in the relationship quote to realize what they lose in that in the lifetime value to what they lose in the word of mouth marketing and things like that. And so, you know, for me, call it being a decent human being, but here's how I learned marketing. I asked myself, would my grandmother be okay with this? And I'm not joking. And she just passed away like a week ago. So rest in peace, Graham. But I've, I've given this keynote so many times and I was like, If my grandmother, who was like 94, couldn't understand the email or was tricked into buying something and wouldn't be happy, I wouldn't do it. And it's really hilarious because when you take that simple approach, it allows you to put the humanity back into what you're doing. And that humanity, like just the intention of that humanity is what quote unquote creates the secret. And I have plenty of tangible examples, but I think the most important part that we have to remember is as business owners, as entrepreneurs, no matter what level you are, we're typically standing at the finish line and we're trying to find customers that are at the starting line. They're not where we are and it's our job to get them there. And I'm gonna tell you right now, people do not respond well to being cold, disconnected, cut off, left undone, calling customer service with no results or even worse so buying a product and never being helped to use it, never mind being upsold 25 more. And so the relationship quotient, Jordo's word, I'm gonna have to learn this one, I'm gonna study it. Uh, It's like a tongue twister for me is really just taking the time to put the intention into the human on the other side. And for me, I like to use myself as an example because I'm an a-hole when I buy something and they don't treat me right, right? I'm a ass if I call customer service and they disrespect me. And I was like, okay, what would I do differently? And then I literally answer that question. I go apply it to a business. I go apply it to mine. And it creates all this opportunity. And so for me, I look at every one of my customers like they're my allies, like they're my best friends, right? And I was like, cool, I don't need them to be codependent on me, but would I ever send my son through this, my daughter through this, my grandmother through this and be like fully confident that like my family is handled? And if the answer is no, I got work to do. And so that's the secret ingredient for me. And so if I had to summarize it in one word, it's intentionality. So we're going to get into a couple of tactical examples of this and how it can, how you can unlock this for various different business models. Cause I think each has universality yep. about it and some has some, some specifics, but you know, this thing that we're coining here, you know, working on this together, this idea of like a relationship quotient is that there's an intelligent quotient, which is an IQ. There's an EQ, yep. which is for emotional intelligence, but this relational intelligence, I really believe is the secret behind longevity with a customer over time yeah, and establishing trust with pre-sold customers to come in so that they buy from you with confidence. It's not the intelligence. It's not the copy. It's not the color of the buttons on the page. It's 
how do they feel when they come into your world? In that regard, I have you know a couple specific tactical questions, but yeah, can you put that into like a single sentence? Like if you were to say, you know, you say relationships beat algorithms. When you're talking about beating algorithms, does that mean that we put the copywriting off onto the back burner? We put the other, you know, standard metrics about leads or cost per customer or lifetime value. We push that all off to the side and focus solely on relationships or how do we balance the two? No, that's a great, it's more of a harmony, right? So it's how they work together, right? You can't have an increased LTV or acquisition cost without having an increased depth of relationship, right? So this is the part that's hilarious. They work together whether you're using them or not. But if you're not using the relationship side, it works against you on the top. I look at the relationship quotient as the undertow of the water that's your business. And so, yes, you're still going to write copy. You're taking people on a journey, but you can write the best copy in the world. But if somebody doesn't feel safe, they can never commit. And so when you really think about it, it's not necessarily what I would consider like the missing secret that nobody knows. It's the ingredient that everybody has. And it's the one when utilized creates a desirable result. And so you have to use them in harmony. But what I look at is I look at the relationship as the foundation and then the copy and strategies and tactics and acquisitions and funnels as the tool that goes on top of the foundation. Because then if the tool doesn't work, I didn't burn a bridge. If the strategy doesn't work, I still get a result. You know, really what people have to understand, I have to give full credit to Jonah Berger. If you guys do not know who Jonah Berger is, he wrote the book Contagious, The Catalyst, Invisible Influence, but he's a psychologist of human behavior and he focuses on marketing. But this was like five years ago, and this was an accurate quote, 86% of marketing was word of mouth. And the average consumer gives eight to 10 brand recommendations or non-recommendations in a 60 second conversation. And it is solely based on one thing, how they feel. And so to understand it, it's that you can have the best acquisition strategy in the world, but even if somebody converts, if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel like they belong, if they don't feel like they're a part of it, they can't say anything good. That's where it's missing. Then if you add that relationship of communication and two-way communication being the key of it, right, that there is an actual relationship, they become zealots of brands, right? They sell more of your product than you do. They talk more about you than you do. They promote your podcast more than you do. They become super fans and things like that. That's not because your copy convinced them to buy. It's because your copy was effective in getting them in, but the foundation was built on a solid relationship. And so for me, it's not how to balance them. It's that they're both required. And sometimes relationship takes precedence over strategy or tactic. And there's other times, like especially like cold acquisition, breaking into a new market, where you have to play on the field that everybody else is playing on. So you have to go acquisition. You have to do viral videos or ads or things, but your differentiator is once you get their attention, you have depth that nobody else in that field has. And so that's how I would summarize it. And that was not a sentence. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, 
my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com, and I'll see you in the next episode.